0: after the manner of newborn infants, Alleluia, desire the pure milk of the Word. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. In the early church on this Sunday, called... Pascha Clausum, the closing of the Pasch, the Sunday post albas depositas, the newly baptized concluded their week-long celebration of new life by putting aside the white garments received at baptism. Today's glorious introit unlocks the graces of today's Holy Mass. The introit today is the voice of a mother addressing her newborn infants. and So important is this text that today is still known as Quasimodo Sunday from the first word of the introit. Quasi modo geniti infantes, after the manner of newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word. The stational church is that of the glorious passion bearing martyr, St. Pancras, a 14 year old lad beheaded for the faith during the persecution of St. Pancras is a patron saint
1: of children
0: hence the connection with today's introit all your craving must be for pure spiritual milk craving for the word of god is a sign of spiritual health Where do we go for this pure, spiritual milk of the Word of God if not to the breasts of Mother Church, to the Word of God given us in the sacred liturgy, day by day? In the Epistle, St. John speaks of the water and blood that flowed out of the open heart of the Son of God. Of this, St. John was an eyewitness, standing with the Mother of God at the Ara Crucis, the altar of the Cross. St. John is an icon of the priesthood of the New Covenant. St. John is also an icon of the monastic vocation, to prefer nothing to the love of Christ, never despairing of the mercy of God. Priests, and certainly Benedictine monks, of perpetual adoration are called in a special way not only to rest our heads on the bosom of Jesus, but also like St. John beneath the cross, to fix our gaze upon him who was pierced. St. John was not alone at the foot of the cross. He stood there with the most holy mother of Jesus, with Mary Magdalene and the other holy women. It was, I think, in standing close to the mother of Jesus and in observing the other holy women that St. John learned how to make of his own heart an open chalice, held aloft to receive the torrent of blood and of water gushing from the pierced side of Christ, that not a drop of it be lost. Anyone who has looked deeply into the history of the Church from the beginning cannot fail to notice the role that our Lord reserves to women especially close to his heart, the Holy Mother of God in the first place, and then St. Mary Magdalene, followed by a long procession of holy women through the ages. It is significant that Mother MacTilde died on Quasimodo Sunday in 1698. And among those holy women closest to our own time is St. Faustina. When she died in 1938, there was little to suggest that she would one day become familiar to Catholics the world over as the Apostle of Divine Mercy. Note well the designation Apostle, one who is sent forth. It is the same title given to St. Mary Magdalene. Apostola Apostolorum, the Apostle to the Apostles. The blood and water that flowed from the side of Christ is received by the Church, first of all, in the Holy Chalice and then applied unsparingly to every spiritual brokenness and wound. This work of applying the blood and water to every spiritual brokenness and wound is dependent on the Holy Chalice, that is, on the sacramental ministry of the priest in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. There is no one, however, who cannot, in faith, draw from the sacramental wellspring to apply the blood and water to souls in need of cleansing, healing, and reparation. And this by means of intercessory prayer. The chaplet of Divine Mercy, given to St. Faustina, that has in less than a century come to encircle the globe is a simple means of doing just this. In the Gospel, the risen Jesus stands in the midst of his disciples. He shows them his wounds. St. John makes no mention of the radiance of his glory. He alludes only to his wounds. Why? because for St. John the theologian, the glory of the risen Christ shines forth from his wounds. Fulfilling the words of the prophet Habakkuk, his brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hands, and there he veiled his power. Imprisoned by fear, Paralyzed by anxiety, struggling with temptations against faith and hope, the disciples present a pitiful image of the church in her hierarchy. They tremble behind closed and bolted doors. Then, suddenly, Jesus is there. He stands a verb used to refer to the Holy Resurrection, in the midst of them. And immediately he allays their fear. Peace be with you. The first gift of the risen Jesus communicated in words of greeting is peace. In imparting this gift, he shows the disciples his hands and his side. The glorious wounds of the risen Jesus authenticate his identity. This is the same Jesus who was crucified. This is the same Jesus whom we contemplated during Holy Week without form or comeliness, that we should look at him, despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The risen Jesus remains the wounded one. And as Saint Peter says, by his wounds we are healed. Jesus says to the disciples a second time, peace be with you. This is no vain repetition. It is a repetition in the power of the Holy Ghost the very kind of repetition that, even to the present, is intrinsic to the liturgy of the Church. Then he adds, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Our Lord's mission does not end with his death and resurrection. His mission is continued in the children that until the end of time will be born of his bride, the Church. The Church, hearkening to the Word, the Church, magnetized by the altar, is the Church continually sent forth. The Church is the body of those who nourished with the pure spiritual wor- milk of the Word cannot stop saying to the world, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is sweet. The Church is the communion of those who, having experienced the mercy that flows from the sacred heart, want to sing of this mercy in this life and in the next. Misericordias Domini in Eternum cantat. The Church and the monastery, because it is an ecclesiola, a microcosm of the Catholic Church, is a body of wounded people who find healing in the glorious wounds of the risen Jesus. Your wounds and mine are the points of entry by which the mercy of the risen Christ penetrates into the secret places of the soul. Those who have no wounds, or those who pretend to have none, shut out the healing mercy of Christ. A certain kind of virtue Self sufficient and hard renders one impenetrable to the balm of divine mercy. Whereas those who know themselves to be wounded and who expose their wounds to the radiance of Christ's glorious wounds experience the power of his resurrection. It is hard for an individual gifted with a kind of natural uprightness and virtue, to recognize humbly that God has done everything in him. Such an individual may well be tempted to the end of his life to be complacent in his qualities. As for the individual who can barely stand upright, whose life is marked by one debilitating assault after another, such a one will be tempted to the end of his life to despair or to revolt. For the one, as for the other, there is but one way of receiving the divine mercy, the renunciation of pride and self-sufficiency, and the utterance of that prayer that so often seems to get caught in our throats, Jesus, I trust in thee. There is nothing more Benedictine than this, for it is the expression of the last of St. Benedict's instruments of good works in chapter 4, never to despair of the mercy Of God. The Gospel recounts the second apparition of the risen Jesus, this one week after the first, again a Sunday evening, again the locked doors, again Jesus comes and stands in their midst, again the gift from the heart, peace be with you, and then to Thomas, torn between the desire to believe and persistent doubts, take your finger and probe my hands. Put your hand into my side. That is to say, put your hand into my heart. Thomas, touch what is most intimate in me, or rather allow me to touch what is most intimate in you, that you may not persist in your unbelief, but begin to trust me. These words of Jesus are given us designedly as today's communion antiphon to accompany the procession of those who, full of adoration, approach the wounds of Christ's glorious body. The festering wounds of disbelief, of suspicion, of distrust, from which we all suffer at different moments in our lives, are healed by contact with the glorious body of the risen Jesus in the Most Holy Mysteries. The body of Christ, wounded and glorious, is the antidote for sin, the healing of every secret wound. The wounded body of Christ dispels doubt Delivers from fear and causes hope to spring up in souls stopped by despair. The adorable and life giving sacrament of the altar, like the sacrament of penance that is wonderfully ordered to it, is an inexhaustible infusion of divine mercy. This was, of course, the experience of St. Faustina the humble woman chosen by the risen Jesus in the 1930s, to recall the Church to trust in divine mercy. The icon of the merciful Christ, by which St. Faustina sought to draw the wounded, the doubting and the fearful to divine mercy, is in fact a depiction of today's Gospel, A way of expressing exactly what our Father Saint Benedict enjoins on us in Chapter 4 of the Holy Rule, never to despair of the mercy of God. Each of us is invited to make of his heart today a kind of chalice held aloft beneath the sacred side of Jesus. Each of us is invited to drink deeply today of the water and the blood, to probe the wounds of Jesus as St. Thomas did, and to penetrate even to his sacred heart. Then will the prayer of St. Faustina, Jesus, I trust in you, well up from deep inside us, and then will the cry of Thomas become our own My Lord and my God, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.